Welcome to Stories of Impact. I'm your host, Tavia Gilbert, and along with journalist Richard Sergey, I'm delighted to be back for the premiere episode of our third year of programming. We're thrilled that you're here for the sixth series of the Stories of Impact podcast. It's going to be an awesome year. If you've been with us for a while, then you might remember our fascinating second season of Stories of Impact when we explored diverse intelligences. If you haven't listened to those episodes, or it's been a while, you might want to go back and listen to that season about the study of diversity of intelligences in dogs, bees, dolphins, AI, whales, aliens, and autistic cognition. Those explorations will fundamentally change the way you see the natural world and humans' place on the planet. And they'll make you think differently about intelligence, even start using the term intelligences, plural, rather than intelligence, singular. I know for me, intelligences will be how I forever think about cognition. And diverse intelligences are where we begin today's episode. We're back with four friends from that amazing Diverse Intelligences season of stories. You might remember Drs. Andrew Sarazen, Erica Cartmill, Pranab Das, and Jacob Foster, leaders of a community of scientists who have come together every summer for the last five years to explore together different kinds of cognition, whether their specialty is plant, animal, human, or machine. Today's episode is our version of a back-to-school episode, celebrating what has to be one of the coolest schools on the planet, the Diverse Intelligences Summer Institute, or DC. We'll tell you all about the DC Summer School in a few moments, but first, let's start with Dr. Andrew Sarazen, president of Templeton World Charity Foundation, sharing why TWCF is committed to the study of diverse intelligences. The Diverse Intelligences Initiative, which is a $40 million commitment, is an exploration of that concept that we might be able to recognize intelligence in nature that exists only if we open our minds to it and only if we can develop the ways of seeing that and recognizing that. So in the past five years, we've awarded over 100 grants across studying human intelligence, animal intelligence, the possibility of intelligence in machines. It's been a fascinating journey. I think it's actually quite timely in terms of the questions that society is asking right now, whether that's on how we should treat animals, whether that's on how we regulate artificial intelligence technologies, whether that's about how you know advanced forms of biotechnology are deployed and creating new kinds of life and also what intelligence of groups looks like. What does collective intelligence mean in teams, in corporations, on a more planetary scale? These are all the kinds of really deep thinking that we've fostered over the past five years. And that five years of deep thinking about diverse intelligences has left Dr. Pranab Das, principal advisor for the TWCF Diverse Intelligences Initiative, in a state of wonder. One of the things that's been interesting to us, and I would say maybe surprising, is that collective intelligences, simple, simple organisms, plants perhaps, uh, slime molds, sea sponges, all seem to exhibit problem-solving behavior, memory behavior, cognitive behavior, 
These are animals, plants, in some cases, that do not have nervous systems in the conventional sense. We see the same thing at the cellular level, within organs, within multicellular organisms, within even single cells. We see the interactions of very small parts coming together, coalescing into some kind of a collection that evinces characteristics we might describe as intelligence. Interestingly enough, that same kind of rule of collections forming to make more powerful new capacities exists within people, within societies. The famous Lovelock idea that the whole world might be a collective intelligence that he called Gaia plays on that idea. So I think what surprises me the most is to see how pervasive this idea of collective intelligence, the emergence of intelligence is. And what's great about that is it really resonates with this underlying idea that Sir John Templeton had that was everything builds upon itself. Things become more interesting as they become more complex. And maybe that interestingness is a kind of a bootstrap that gets us from the intelligence of a cell to the intelligence of an organ to the intelligence of a small animal to the intelligence of a person and then the collectives of people and the collectives of people with other things. So it's not unreasonable to imagine that that is the kind of progressive collectiveness, the increasing power that comes with groups that get bigger and more complex and more interactive. Okay, that sounds super interesting if you're into the science of intelligences. But why should you and I care about diverse intelligences research and the Diverse Intelligences Summer Institute? Dr. Sarazin says, There is something real about intelligence, and it transcends systems. It transcends across humans, other animals, plants, evolution as a learning system, you know, chemistry, machines, the stars. I mean, it's a very deep realization to build this kind of infrastructure and language for us to describe what may be argued as the most fundamental force in the natural world, intelligence. By having some of the world's best minds map these different contours of intelligence, map different contours of how we make meaning or how other species do so, how these capacities are, are deployed, is central to the human moment that we're in where there's a great upheaval in the world. And so the point about, I think, diverse intelligence is that it shows us all these different possibilities of value that we could then internalize in ourselves. And sometimes the best way to disclose that or find that or discover that is in the outside world. I think it causes us to really re-examine what we value as a species and maybe moving it past this paradigm of this great ladder of intelligence where we sit at the top and other creatures exist elsewhere. But maybe we exist in a kind of constellation and it's a wondrous constellation that exists. So I think what's important about that is that right now we as a society do have this great questioning about what we value and why we value it. And sometimes it's easier to be inspired and gain perspective about that when we look outside ourselves. Dr. Doss agrees. The thing that I think is most interesting, really, is this tendency of the world to get more complicated. That occurs on a lot of very basic levels in physics. We see the origins of life are an example of the world getting more complicated, and it seems to fly in the face of this famous second law of thermodynamics that says everything's going to fall apart 
that we're all eventually worm food. Of course, that's true, but the fact that people came along at all is very different from this notion that everything just gets more and more beat down and broken up. Intelligences are the next level of that sort of interestingness that comes to the world. And I think that's probably the place where the most novel, most fascinating new work can arise. How does the capacity to be in the world evolve, complexify, deepen, and become richer? To me, that's the most fascinating question, the emergence of the capacity to continue to be in the world well. Dr. Erica Cartmill, co-director of DC, puts a finer point on the urgency around the study of diverse intelligences. We're losing species at an ever-increasing rate, and there's huge ecological diversity and forms of culture and knowledge and populations and memories that are being just wiped from the face of the earth. And I think it's critical that we try to find ways to engage with, document, understand the diversity of the natural world. And hopefully through that research and through communicating that research to the wider public, hopefully influence conservation. From an artificial intelligence standpoint, this is a really important time for humanists, for social scientists, and for natural scientists to collaborate with and give feedback to the computer scientists who are building these increasingly powerful artificial minds. Because, you know, as we know from various initiatives, they can reflect sometimes the best of humanity and sometimes the worst of humanity. And I think that this is a really important period in our evolution and our cultural arc as a species where, you know, we're starting to create for the first time artificial intelligences that may start to accurately reflect biological ones. And we don't always like what we see. <laughs> and so I think finding ways to really understand these artificial minds and finding ways of collaborating with them, shaping them, and using these partnerships to better understand ourselves, I think is going to be really critical moving into the future of humanity. Dr. Cartmill has been instrumental in shaping the community of scientists who are questioning, well, everything about how we think about and define intelligence. She explains how DC works, and for anyone who's spent time in academia, you'll recognize how revolutionary the DC concept and community are. The Diverse Intelligences Summer Institute is a three-week-long program. We bring together typically early career researchers, graduate students, postdocs, and early career faculty for this period of interdisciplinary exploration into questions of intelligences. We spend a lot of time trying to, with our application process and selecting people who are really accomplished in their own disciplines, but have this hunger, this excitement, and this openness to exploring and collaborating and connecting with ideas in other areas. And the whole idea of DC is not to teach people a specific method or technique or theoretical framework. You know, it's not a training in that. It's really a training in asking questions and collaborating interdisciplinarily. So what we're trying to really do is to bring people together and give them the tools that they need to do the kind of science that 
is needed in the future to connect interesting minds to other interesting minds and then to create new ideas, new research through these connections. Dr. Cartmill's DC co-director and her husband, Dr. Jacob Foster, also recognizes how rare it is for scholars to come together for such expansive study. What is distinctive about diverse intelligences is not just the fact that it is a concerted effort to bring together all of the different disciplines that think about intelligences, but it's also an ethos. It's a kind of community spirit that doesn't just put the different disciplines in conversation, but I would say is sort of actively disrespectful of the idea of a disciplinary boundary. And so really folks are trying to recombine in radically novel ways uh, in terms of who's working with whom. And, you know, I would say also trying to cultivate a way of looking at the phenomenon of intelligence in a way that decenters the human and the constellation of capacities that we typically think of as characteristic of intelligence in humans, which is also shaped in all sorts of ways by the history of thinking. So often what we think of as an intelligent human is also like, you know, a Western white man, like that sort of model we're trying to decenter and instead understand all of the many different ways that intelligence can manifest. Dr. Doss expands on the uniqueness of DC's interdisciplinary structure. This began explicitly as an undertaking to bring different kinds of thinkers, different kinds of researchers to bear on a spectrum of questions. It's rare to say, we're not exactly sure what the research problem is here. It's an idea that there is something special about our capacity in the world. Who's been thinking about that? From what directions have they been thinking about it? They had this basic science question. What are intelligences like in the world and how can we come to understand them better? This springs from this notion that there is some kind of deep reality in the world that science is very good at uncovering, but that conventional reductionist science can or has perhaps sometimes missed important interconnections between big questions. So it was really a profound and important big bet on the possibility that there is a deep new understanding to be gained by advanced interdisciplinary research. And making that big bet starting five years ago came down to timing. So there are two things that are happening in the history of science right now that I think are particularly relevant. The first is that artificial intelligence has offered brand new tools, but they are all based on a rather well-understood set of architectures. They begin with ideas that were really minted more than 50 years ago now. There's a real hunger in the artificial intelligence community for new biologically inspired models, things that can take us past what we call domain-specific artificial intelligence, which is getting very good at a very particular kind of problem, to more domain-general kinds of artificial intelligence, where we could build devices or collections of devices that can find their own problems, or at least expand from one problem set to another. As of now, there is no clear-cut route toward that, and many people are hungry for biological ideas, ideas drawn from our studies of animals that could give 
AI new routes. Secondly, animal studies had until now been very dependent on individual, very bespoke observation by people. Incredibly high bandwidth work that has to be done over a long period of time. Typically, highly trained people would simply study and observe and then have to code or analyze or package data. And it's quite challenging for individuals to make interoperable data sets. Again, AI, new machine tools have basically allowed us to see patterns, to observe patterns using machine analyses. So suddenly what was huge, huge data that could not be processed by individuals can now be winnowed by these machine learning tools. So we're getting information about animal behaviors and animal cognition in ways that we really couldn't have 10 or 15 years ago. So these two things are occurring at the same time, and it offers a really potentially very fertile new territory for exploration. The DC community's humility, courage, and confidence in exploring from a place of not knowing is perhaps just as revolutionary as the questions the scientists explore in their research. DC's ethos could be thought of as almost anti-academia. Academia is a domain where, you know, you might say, like, if you're a graduate student, there's a spirit of fronting where someone might use some term and you don't say, hey, excuse me, what's that term mean? You nod in a sort of sage way and then secretly look up on Wikipedia what the heck that thing meant. And so we say to them, look, I know that you might feel like there's this incredible pressure to seem like you already know everything, but this is a space where it is totally not just okay, but expected that you will ask the stupid question because some things are going to be really easy and within the wheelhouse of some members of the community and other things will be super hard for those folks and it doesn't do anyone any good in terms of breaking down these barriers or building these collaborations or conversations if folks don't stick up their hand and ask those basic questions. If there's one thing that the Stories of Impact podcast has turned inside out, it might be the myth that scientists are aloof and unemotional. In fact, our series of interviews with scientists has revealed how passionate and even emotional researchers can be. Dr. Cartmill's celebration of the D.C. community affirms that in science, there's a place for kindness, even friendship. This has just been such an amazing opportunity to engage with this next generation of researchers and diverse intelligences. And we've learned a lot from them and the things that they're excited about and the kinds of inquiry that are engaging to them. You know, I think that they need to have a very solid foundation in a core discipline, whether it's engineering or history or philosophy or cell biology or psychology. But having an orientation to and openness to other forms of inquiry, not having this internal hierarchy of disciplines, and having the confidence to speak up when they don't understand something is really critical. Uh, it's one thing that we try really hard in DC to train is the first few days we do a lot of know, scene setting, I guess you could say, where we really focus not necessarily on providing 
particular content, but a lot more on trying to get people to engage in conversations in particular ways, of not being afraid to ask questions, of listening with an openness and generosity of spirit. And I think they're not things that are readily taught in a sort of traditional academic training program. Dr. Foster agrees. Our role, mine and Erica's, has been in no small part focused on community building and really on trying to sort of sow the seeds for the next generation of researchers in diverse intelligences. And so on the community building front, I think folks can underestimate how important very simple human things like trust, friendship, can be in successful scientific endeavors. And it's entirely possible to be, in fact, I think it's even better to be critical in a context of trust and mutual regard and mutual understanding because then you know that when I am being critical, it's because I want to improve your ideas as part of a joint project and vice versa, rather than because I'm trying to, you know, shoot you down or promote my perspective over another. I can look and see the sort of energy that folks bring to these meetings where we're together, the ways in which when you have the opportunity to talk to or encounter someone outside of the setting of these wonderful gatherings that are so full of collective effervescence, that there is this sort of orientation of mutual regard and respect and friendship. I think a great metric of trust is the degree to which people are comfortable sharing fairly wacky ideas that they might not feel comfortable sharing, say, in their department back home. And that's the sort of thing that makes us just thrilled. And the thing that makes me most pleased about the success of the Diverse Intelligences Endeavor is when we have fellows at the end of the Summer Institute say something along the lines of, this is what I thought academia would be like, and it has restored my faith in the enterprise to be around these people. Because I do think that in many, many ways, this community where we're really oriented towards asking big questions, asking hard questions, doing it in a, a way that's founded on respect and trust, and not just replicating and defending disciplinary boundaries and saying, this is my turf, not your turf, and this is my idea and it's better than your idea. This kind of common project is what I think many folks get into academia thinking it's going to be about. And for many complex historical reasons, that sure is not what it is normally about. And so that is always something that just thrills me to hear, that we've created a space for people to do the thing that they're most passionate about and to realize, especially for the young folks, that while they may be weirdos, and I would identify as a weirdo myself, there are other weirdos out there who you know, are doing great things and there to be in community with them and to support them. Dr. Doss underscores that the Summer Institute is not just about the science, but about the relationships that the Institute fosters. What comes from those relationships and research will extend far beyond the borders of the D.C. community. One of the great successes has been the collegiality and camaraderie of this community. We have people who study animals and people who study machines. And one might think that they would have very little to say to one another. But in fact, coming together annually and finding 
areas of common interest, we've seen the flourishing of brand new collaborations that had really no chance of occurring had these people not had a chance to spend time one-on-one -on -one and really feel the sparks fly. So we've been very fortunate to have a remarkable group of very senior and also very junior interested people who are interested and interesting. And that has led to some novel collaborations, which I think are going to produce really, really new and impressive work. I'm very hopeful that we will see in five years a set of systems of ideas, a set of structural syntheses of the ways of being in the world that different animals, different people, different machines have, a set of roadmaps, a set of topographies, a set of structures, a set of frameworks that will map this complex world in a way that other scientists and non-scientists can use and understand to better themselves and to better their lives. What have these scientists gleaned from the last five years of community building and research around diverse intelligences? Here's Dr. Sarazen. When we typically think about the word intelligence, most people in the past have thought about the word intelligence, that it is, you know, seeing a problem, deploying tools to solve that problem. I think our journey so far with diverse intelligences has absolutely expanded that notion of intelligence. We can use a number of metaphors to describe what that looks like. So an example that I think is quite compelling is this idea of a periodic table of intelligence, that you know, the periodic table was a way for scientists to organize the kinds of chemistry we found in the natural world. And those chemical elements had different attributes. And some elements were grouped in certain ways, and other elements were grouped separately. And that was based on not only the fundamental structures, but also their behavior in the real world. And the other thing about the development of the periodic table was the fact that it allowed for predictions. So you could say, well, there should be an element here that we've never found before. But based on this framework, this theoretical and practical framework, we could predict that you would find an element. And the same might be true for intelligence, where you know, there might be a blank space in capacities for intelligence, and we've just been blinded to it because it's not been easy to see. So we have a number of programs which make different kinds of claims about what intelligences are and what they could be. And the amazing thing is that they will serve as guides for others to go out and see if they can find gaps if they exist. And Dr. Doss. If you're a clever, creative, interested agent in the world and you bumble about, you'll find things of interest, fasten on them and figure out ways to apprehend them in a way that is growthful for you, that will make your life more interesting, richer, and your survival more successful. So I think what I'd say is that we're coming to a definition of intelligence that begins with this kind of advanced, sophisticated exploration of the world. Bumbling around might be too lighthearted a way of putting it. But that kind of exploration then leads to goal setting, which then leads to success with regard to goals, which has sometimes been what people thought intelligence was. I think that's just the simplest form of intelligence. And Dr. Foster. I think there really has just been a sea change 
over my lifetime in terms of how broadly it is understood that so many of the non-human animal species that share the planet with us are much, much smarter than we had anticipated. And, you know, I think there's also a sense that the current ecological moment and this kind of many intersecting catastrophes makes this question of trying to understand intelligences and animal intelligences, animal cultures, plant capacities, then what's going on with humans, especially when we get together in big collectives. And then, you know, on the AI front, there's a sense in which all of these spaces at the worst or most pessimistic perspective, there's a kind of poignant sense that this may be the last moment in history where we can really come to grips with how amazing the animal species are that we're wiping out. <laughs> and that maybe if we really understand how fantastic their capacities are, it might inspire more people to make more efforts to save them. And on the other side, that if we don't figure out how to better manage and cultivate human capacities so that they're oriented towards flourishing as individuals, as societies, and as a species, and the same set of questions with artificial intelligence, that these animals might not be the only things that get wiped out in the next 100 years. So I think there's a sense in which this mystery of intelligence is having a moment. So it's the fundamental science of intelligences is at the same time what my collaborator Carl Bergstrom has called a crisis discipline. You know, there are a way in which there are all sorts of applications of these ideas that are urgently needed. And I think that's another part of what is creating this sense that there's a moment around diverse intelligences. And Dr. Cartmill. In an initiative where you're trying to really cast a wide net to sort of push the boundaries of previous exploration in a new and dynamic way, you can't just stick with what's been done and just think about incremental improvement or progress. You really need to take a step back, cast a wider net, and try to really radically transform by adding new dimensions or new areas of knowledge to this question. And I think that that's what the Diverse Intelligences Initiative has really been about. It's about bringing new players to the table. It's about conceptualizing new forms of knowing and experiencing and existing in the world. It's about what I like to call decentering the human, or in particular, decentering one particular kind of human, you know, decentering this idea that all human intelligence is the same and that there's one canonical yardstick against which everything else is measured. And I think that this diversification is at the heart of diverse intelligences. So thinking about intelligences in new ways, and I really love, I always emphasize the S in intelligences because it really is this project of thinking about what does it mean to know? What does it mean to navigate through the world? What does it mean to remember the world, to interact with the world, to interact with other beings in the world, to recognize that there are other beings in the world? But I think is open to the possibility that there are multiple paths to that same end. And I think that that's really, for me, what's been at the heart of this, is trying to figure out how to identify and start to sort of bring into focus what that end is without 
narrowly defining the paths that we expect different entities to take to get there. And I think by broadening this exploration of the paths through which different humans, algorithms, animals, maybe even plants can get there, we can have a much fuller and less prescriptive idea about what that end state is. After five years, the DC community is maturing and evolving, inviting new partners to join in and continue to develop innovative research projects and collaborations. One of the things we'll try to do as we go forward is to remain highly interdisciplinary, have a community that allows for cross-fertilization, and at the same time, create opportunities for special groups of people to meet around particular topics, be it the mathematics of intelligences, collective intelligences, behavioral intelligences as evinced by certain kinds of animal, perhaps even ecosystem intelligences, the philosophy underlying intelligences. Dr. Cartmill, Dr. Foster, Dr. Doss, and Dr. Sarazen are as hopeful about spreading the DC community spirit as DC science. They find inspiration in their inclusive interdisciplinary model, and I do too. This is the only community that I've been a part of so far that really brings together people who work on natural animal behavior in the wild, people who do experimental work in captivity, people who are doing neural imaging in humans, people who are doing you know, bacteria signaling, people who are doing artificial intelligence, people who are doing robots, pulled together with philosophers and theologians and historians and all these people who give us this very rich historical and theoretical perspective on past inquiries into what it means to have a mind. And I feel like this multiplicity of perspectives into not just the empirical side of the research, but into um, the theoretical exploration and the sort of agenda setting and scene setting of this inquiry for me has been really unique. Despite all of the you know drawbacks of the increasing connectivity in the world, and there are many, um, I do think that it affords collaboration at a scale we haven't seen before. So, you know, before this point in history or before, you know, a few decades ago, you had these very sort of siloed disciplines. And I think this is a time where I think people are more open than ever before to this kind of big data, but also big team science. And I also think that this collaboration between the humanities and the sciences is something that, you know, we maybe didn't see 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and I think has been a real hallmark of DI. What's the future of DC research? One thing I'm very committed to is trying to figure out what the right sort of formal and by that I mean kind of mathematical and computational frameworks can help us basically try to figure out whether all of these different instances of intelligences that we see, whether there's a mathematical language that sort of reveals their commonality. By 2030, we would like to have a more comprehensive mathematical understanding of this collection of intelligences especially if artificial intelligence can deploy some of the insights that we've begun to glean from our study of animal interactions, animal intelligences. And then finally, I think that the possibility for a comprehensive theory of collective intelligence could offer us tools that range in use from 
within the body for therapeutic purposes, the collective intelligences of cells within our body, all the way up to collective intelligences of organizations, companies, internet, social media, to perhaps the collective intelligences of ecosystems and planets. We hope that centers of excellence or institutes, academic centers, might emerge that are capable of and interested in pushing either particular elements of this agenda or embracing the entire DI community. Dr. Sarazen is enthusiastic about the future of TWCF's Diverse Intelligences Initiative. I see the Diverse Intelligences Initiative as entering its most productive phase over the next 10 years. The most exciting results, I believe, for the Diverse Intelligences community will emerge over the next five years. I think we're in the most exciting phase of the initiative where we're seeing and we will see practical applications, new discoveries that will exponentially increase over the next few years. All of these new discoveries, I think, inevitably change our perspective about ourselves, that we exist as part of a great tapestry of life. And that doesn't mean that we're not unique in many ways. It just means that we have, I think, in part, a greater connection to the natural world than we might have realized, that we can find these wondrous examples. And doesn't it cause a greater sense of urgency, I think, about caring for the natural world? So the environment not just being a kind of impersonal place that's external to us, but actually that the natural world is a thinking and feeling place with all kinds of examples of exquisite forms of intelligence that exists all around us. If we only had the courage and eyes to see it. In our next episode, we'll introduce you to some of the enthusiastic scientists who make up the DC community, their work, their drive for cross-disciplinary exploration of intelligences, what they've learned, and what new questions have been sparked. Their research is weird and wonderful and surprising, and Richard and I can't wait to share it with you. Thanks again for following our podcast. Will you help us grow our audience? Most podcasts are discovered through referral. When fans who love a show tell others about it, so please share stories of impact with other curious souls like yourself so we can reach new listeners. And it really makes a big impact for us if you not only follow the podcast, but if you give us a five-star rating and even leave a short review. You can also retweet us or share our Instagram or Facebook posts. If you want to go back and listen to past episodes, you can find all of our conversations on your favorite podcast player or at storiesofimpact.org. This has been the Stories of Impact podcast with Richard Sergey and Tavia Gilbert. Written and produced by Talkbox Productions and Tavia Gilbert. Senior producer, Katie Flood. Music by Alexander Filipiak. Mix and master by Kayla Elrod. Executive producer, Michelle Cobb. The Stories of Impact podcast is generously supported by Templeton World Charity Foundation.